I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You are now entering a critical thinking zone. So thinking caps are required beyond this point. From deep behind enemy lines, deep in the heart of the Midwest, it's your host, Andrew Coppins. And it's time for Critical Thinking. Welcome into Critical Thinking. It is Truth or Fiction Tuesday. I'm Andrew Coppins, and if you're watching on Rumble, you already know this, but no pad only today. Pat is a little under the weather and um, cannot speak. So that is quite a bit of a problem when you are uh, on a talk show. So it'll be me, myself, and I with you for a little while today. Uh, It'll be a shortened Truth or Fiction Tuesday. As always, do not forget, download, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you find them. And if you can't find the show on your favorite podcasting platform, please let us know so we can make sure that we get put on that platform. And of course, you can watch the show on Rumble, rumble.com backslash critical thinking every single Monday through Friday for you. Um, Speaking of off, I will be off this Friday. I will not be here uh, for the show, taking a little bit of a fall trip uh, for the weekend. Um, so after that, you will have me for as long as I am not sick or anything like that, uh, for the rest of this year leading into Christmas and, and all of that wonderful goodness. All right. So with that out of the way, do not forget, you can also follow on social media. I am at the cop and show. And speaking of which hit me up in the DMS. If you are a fellow small business owner, like myself as a realtor, if you would love to be sponsored and featured on this show, we're not going to require payment. Uh, for that up front, uh, we will discuss how we can work that partnership out. Um, but we would love to be able to feature good, wholesome, family oriented small businesses that speak to the values of liberty, the principles of liberty, real liberty. So hit me up in the DMs at The Coppin Show, whether that is on Facebook whether that's on Twitter, and if you're looking on Instagram, it's at Critical Thinking Show. All right, so all of that out of the way, what are we going to do together here since I am flying solo on a Truth or Fiction Tuesday? Well, I'm going to play a couple of clips for you, and then we're going to discuss. And we're going to start with Joseph Marionette Biden, the President of the United States of America, 60 Minutes interview. Yes, we talked about three different topics from that interview, that long form interview, but there was so much more folks, because I I can't believe I'm going to say this, but folks, the pandemic itself is over. Hey, don't, don't, don't kill the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. Joseph Marionette Biden, our president told us as much on 60 minutes. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing. And I think this is a perfect example of it. Wait, 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 wait. The pandemic is over, Mr. President? The pandemic is over. Okay, so let's quickly think through that. Is that truth or fiction? Is the pandemic over? Well, for most of us, 
Yes, that is truth. But it's been truth since the beginning. Because while, yes, it did hit people hard, we have lost literally a couple million people over the course of almost three years here in America, right? I understand all of that. But as we sit here in September of 2022, for the vast majority of Americans and the vast majority of the cities and the towns and the states, COVID is over. At least the pandemic restrictions, at least the pandemic thinking, the mindset, it's over. And we're not going back. I want to be clear on that. Because we've also seen all of the mitigation strategies. I want you to think about this, right? So masking, has it worked in any capacity? No. Has it stopped a single infection? Ah, uh, hell no, it hasn't. Because if it did, it would have petered out real fast. What about the wonderful, great, fantastical Operation Warp Speed and its wonderful jabs forever. Literally, I know people who are lining up here in Chicago to get their fifth jab. Folks, let me break this down for you. If you have to get five jabs, you are not getting inoculated from getting coronavirus. You're not. They don't work. They haven't worked. So forth and so on. We know all of the details because we've been covering this from the very get-go here on this show. Steve Dace and others have been doing it as well. But when you look at the data, when you look at the facts on the ground, those who have gotten the jab as relatively healthy, middle-aged, let's say 25 to 40-year-old adults, the vast majority of them have had no side effects, but those that have have had very severe consequences. In fact, we are seeing negative efficacy of the vaccinations. Now, well, we, we've uh, been able to update the vaccine. Again, these are not vaccines. These are therapeutics. If you have to get five, now five shots, you are not vaccinated. You are just getting a flu shot, sort of, kind of except for the flu shot has way more efficacy, but that's a different story for a different time. So that's, that's just two components of this, right? So we knew, number one, that none of the masking was going to work. We have known since roughly the beginning, if we actually studied things, that these were nothing more than therapeutics. They were not going to work. They didn't even work, by the way, against the original strain. People want to point to this lull um, in late April. Yeah, April, May, and sort of kind of into June of 2021. They want to point to that. But if you actually did data analysis, your job would be to not take it in a vacuum, but understand the totality of the data. And when you do that, when you take a look at the charts and the graphs and everything else, what you find is that that was actually just the natural ebb and flow. We would see ebbs and flows, dips, hills and valleys in the number of cases or the number of deaths, whatever metric you wanted to use. It literally was just natural. It's just the ebbs and flows. Every couple of months, we would get more cases. Every couple of months, it would go back down. Every couple of months, it would go back up. Because why? By the middle of August and September of last year, we were beginning to see a massive spike up. And, and then that took off even further in October, November, and December of last year. And then by January, it was back down. Well, see, the boosters worked. No, they didn't. Because people were getting boosted in November, December, and January of last year. It had nothing to do with the shots itself. Because if it did, those people who were getting the shots in April, May, June of last year wouldn't have seen the spike in cases that we would have seen in what? Late August, early September 
and then a slight lull into late October until we literally spiked back up, right? So we don't see the efficacy of these therapeutics. The masks didn't work. How did social distancing work out for America? I literally talked about this from the very get-go, that number one, this was an absolute lie. This was an absolute fabrication of scientific integrity. This was a an experiment done by a 13-year-old girl back in the um, early 2000s, so I think like 2007-ish. I'd have to check the date, but it was definitely still during the George Bush administration, so it was either 2006 or 2007, uh, before uh, Barack Obama became president. But this was a school science fair project that then, because her daddy had access to scientific research labs at uh, Los Alamos in New Mexico, got put under the microscope. And what you find out is they hid the results of the actual scientific study that was being done because it turned out to not produce the results that her science fair project. I want you to think about this. Look, I'm not saying that good ideas can't come from science fairs, okay? I'm not saying that. I think good ideas can come from anywhere. But what I am saying is there's a difference between the rigor of a science fair experiment and the rigor of academic, real-life research done by, you know, people with actual pedigrees in this field. And when that was put under the microscope, if you will, it turned out to not even be true. Now, fourthly, what do we know about this pandemic that they lied to us about? Well, we also know they lied to us over this being a thing that you could spread vis-a-vis only touch or smell or taste or if you spit on somebody. Now, it's true that you could pass it that way, but this was not some sort of respiratory virus that just happened to be in the ether. No, it was an aerosolized virus. Therefore, masking, therefore, um, social distancing would never have mattered. They lied. Do not forget about this. They lied about how this was going to be able to be spread. For the longest time, they were telling us, for the longest time, whoa, for the longest time. Never mind. Um, sorry about that. That 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 was a little. Uh, hopefully, you don't mind my off key singing this morning. But the point being, for the very longest time, they were telling us that don't worry, this isn't an aerosolized virus. This isn't aerosolized at all, and thus the justification of the fifth thing. But the fourth thing was that this was not an aerosolized virus. Yes, it is. Yes, it was. It's always been that way. The fifth thing that they lied to us about, I mean, I could go 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 things deep. But let's go back and talk about the the proof in the pudding of them lying about social distancing and then go forward. Because there's one other aspect of this that can prove all of this to be true and fake at the same time. So social distancing. Wisconsin in April of of 2020, the height of this, or excuse me, early May of 2020, they did ghastly in-person primary voting that year. Those bastards in Wisconsin, over a half a million people in person voted. Now, what were they doing? They were also tracking those people who voted in person and finding out how many people got COVID. Now, I have an entire video breaking this down on our former YouTube page, and I should put this over on our Rumble page as well. But the video showcases all of the statistics from the Wisconsin um, CDC or their version of the CDC. Okay, Out of 500,000 people, half a million people gathered tightly, waiting in lines, social distancing, mind you, Wearing masks, mind you, 17. 
17 people who voted in person were tracked and traced to have gotten COVID at some point in time. And I have the entire video breaking down how idiotic it would be to attribute any of these cases to their in-person voting, because you cannot possibly narrow it down to just that. The, the amount of factors that you would have to disprove are astronomical for it to be pinpointed to this activity or that activity. And we've, we've done this time and time again. So we had that, the social distancing. We had the, the lie about the, the vaccine, aka the therapeutic. We've had the lie about masking. We've had lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. We had the lie about how this can be spread, and it's not an aerosolized virus. Remember people washing their food. In fact, I, I know people still today who are washing their food and putting their groceries outside their home for 24 hours because oh, you could catch COVID. Yeah, okay. And let me guess, you also believe you can get AIDS from sitting on a toilet. You idiots. You are the problem in America. But fifth and final to all of this, the fifth and final, the coup de gras, if you will, of all the lies that have been told to us is that if you just just sacrificed two weeks to slow the spread, this, that, and the other thing, if you just get the jab, you get your job back, right? The biggest coup de gras lie of them all is that you have to give up your liberty for safety. And I'm not using the, the quote from Benjamin Franklin. I'm not doing that because people, for the thousandth time on this show, this quote that every other conservative or libertarian podcast that you listen to, that you watch, is going to tell you about when it talks about liberty and security in COVID-19. What they're going to tell you is that this is what this is about. That quote has nothing to do with your personal liberty and your personal security. That quote is about the state of Pennsylvania's liberty and its security. The argument of putting troops, putting the British regulars inside the state of Pennsylvania, giving up their liberty to defend themselves as they see fit for the security of the British soldiers and the British rule over the colony of Pennsylvania. The argument Benjamin Franklin was making is that once you give up your liberty to protect yourself, your freedom as a state, that's what he was talking about. You no longer have security or liberty. He was proven to be right, by the way. But I digress. The if you just give up your liberty for a little bit, you're going to have temporary security. We never had security because of the things that I've mentioned. Social distancing wasn't going to work. Wearing a mask wasn't going to work. The therapeutic wasn't going to work. And we don't even need to go down the conspiracy theory routes. We don't even need to go down the this was a bioweapon route or whatever you want to believe. I have my beliefs, and you can look back on the show about them. But these people, and by these people, I mean the people at the CDC. I mean the people at the FDA, Pfizer, BioNTech, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, the people inside the bureaucracy of our federal government, inside your state governments, sold you a lie. You bought it hook, line, and sinker. And by you, I am talking to the regular American. I am talking to the average Joe and average Jane out there. Not necessarily the people who have been with us on this program and with others on other programs, deep diving into data, deep diving into results, deep diving into studies, and all of the stuff that we've been doing and proving and proofing for you since the very beginning. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking to regular Joe and regular Jane who's been trying to live their life, 
thinking the government has their back. For that very government, those very apparatuses or apparatusi or whatever you want to use that term to be as a plural, whatever regular Jane and regular Joe were holding on to are now telling us the pandemic is over when it could have been that language two years ago. Think about that. What have they done to you? What have they done to your life? Not to mention the closing of the hospitals for elective quote-unquote procedures. And by the way, elective procedure doesn't mean you get to choose whether or not you get to do this procedure or not. An elective procedure is just simply one that's not required to save your life immediately. That's the definition of an elective procedure. How many people died of cancer? How many people died of other diseases that were un they they weren't able to go get proper screenings for or testing because oh my god, everybody's dying of covid. For these people to sit here and tell us now that the pandemic is over is insane. But furthermore, I also know that this is truth but fiction, right? So it's true. The pandemic is over, but it's been over for at least 18 to 20 months because we've never been able to mitigate against it, right? There, there's nothing that we were or could have been doing short of shutting ourselves inside. Oh, wait, that's right. If you shut yourself inside of a building and that building doesn't have the ventilation that would, would have been needed to get rid of aerosolized virus content, it still wouldn't have mattered. But the very people who have who sold you all of the lies, right? Like I said, I could go through at least a dozen of them off the top of my head. But the very people who sold you all of those lies are still putting in place mandates, are still firing people from their jobs, are still requiring our soldiers to be not free thinkers, and, and, and I understand that you need them to be weapons of war, and therefore free thinking is not necessarily the greatest thing, but you need to at least give them some, I don't know, critical thinking skills, because when you're on the battlefield, not everything goes correct. But today, if the pandemic is really over, let me ask you this. Has the federal government lifted any of the mandates on people coming to the United States of America? You have to get jabbed, by the way. If you're coming to the United States of America as a traveler, you better have your vaccinations for COVID-19. Why? We can all travel inside the United States, outside of the United States, without them now. We're the only country, the only real big country that is doing this still. They haven't lifted that. Have they lifted the mandate for our troops? Nope. New York City just fired 850, yes, I said 850 of its public school employees this week for not being jabbed. Pandemic over? If the pandemic is over, why are these things not lifted? Why? The answer is not good. I'll give you a hint. The answer is because the government, by the way, still going through the courts attempting to try to tell us that they need the emergency youth use authorization and emergency powers. They need to be able to turn on and off the levers or the levers of their pandemic power whenever the hell they want going forward. They are trying to institutionalize pandemic power. They are attempting to make it permanent. Why are we not allowing a Novak Djokovic into this country to, to have played in the U.S. Open, right? Why are we not doing all of these things? The federal government, on one hand, is attempting to tell the American people a story that the pandemic is over, while on the other hand, while they're, they're talking that shiny object to you, on the other hand, in the other hand, 
They are attempting to literally codify power. They are still attempting to use the pandemic as the reasoning for Joe Biden's largely illegal, while it would personally benefit me, illegal student loan debt forgiveness program. Do not forget, they are using the emergency powers under the COVID-19 emergency authorization, right? The, The pandemic authorization. They're still attempting to use it. The pandemic will not be over. And what I mean by pandemic is the scare tactics, the fear, all of the things that they've been using for literally two years. I mean, that's why we call it panic porn on the show. I want you to think about that. They're still attempting to use those pieces and levers of power. That's the real pandemic. It's a pandemic of power. And unless we force their hand, either either Joe Biden was full of absolute crap in that argument about the pandemic being over, or the pandemic isn't over and we are about to be screwed even harder by our federal government. So we, as the American people, have to start demanding that our government, we should be in the streets, by the way. We should be every day, in my view, protesting, taking off of work, strike from your jobs if we must, and demanding that our troops not be their guinea pigs. Demand that the troops and the all of our pandemic restrictions on a federal level, all of them be lifted. Because by and large, by the way, the state pandemic restrictions have been lifted. Now, some states are still requiring public employees, this, that, and the other thing. But even then, we should demand that. And they're doing it under the guise of the fact that the federal government is giving them emergency cash. And have been for two years. Do not forget about that. The state of Illinois took $14 billion. That's a billion with a B, folks. $14 billion of money for pandemic emergency response. All they did was band-aid the $11 billion hole that this government has in debt. At least on the book's debt. But I want you to think about that. How is it possible that the pandemic is over, yet the federal government is still using the pandemic for its power grab? That's what you need to pay attention to, and that's what we should be demanding stop. We should be in the streets demanding that the pandemic restrictions and the pandemic, um, however you want to put it, they're not they're just their restrictions, but they're um requirements are all lifted until that happens they still control the fear the panic that and the chaos that we all feel they still control it and that's the rub they want to tell you the pandemic is over so that you feel safe and secure heading in to what the midterm elections Yet, on the backside, they're still going through court processes. They're still going through court cases claiming pandemic powers. They're still doing that, folks. They're still doing that to this day. I don't understand it. I don't get how that's possible. I really don't. Think about that. I want you to think about that. How is it possible that you can tell us with a straight face that the pandemic is over, yet it really isn't, yet it really isn't, in your actions? Unless your words and actions meet together, I can't trust you. Now, a second truth or fiction involves Don the Lemon, yes, Don Lemon, um, attempting to browbeat a royal family spokesperson about reparations 
for slavery and colonialism. I'm pretty sure this doesn't go the way that Don the Lemon thought it was going to go, but I want to talk about the response after you hear this video, as in, is that response truth or fiction? Well, this is coming when, you know, there's all of this wealth and you hear about it comes as England is facing rising costs of living, a living crisis, austerity budget cuts and so on. And then you have those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism. And they're wondering, you know, one hundred billion dollars, twenty four billion dollars here and there, five hundred million there. Some people want to be paid back and uh, and members of the public are wondering, why are we suffering when you are? You know, you have all of this vast wealth. Those are legitimate concerns. Well, I think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it, though, what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain. Where was the beginning of the supply chain? That was in Africa. And when across the entire world, when the slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished uh, slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, In Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say, who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages? Absolutely. That's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. That is amazing. Absolutely, totally amazing, folks. That's how you respond to this idiotic idea of reparations for slavery. Who and we've talked about this in the past, but that statement, by the way, by that British um, royal family representative is 100 percent the truth. Because what is the ugly truth of the transatlantic slave trade? Is that, yes, it was black people being put into bondage and people who held racist beliefs even by their day standards. Yes, those people were racist, right? We know it. Everybody knows it. But those people, if all of those people were white, would they still have done the slave trade? Would they still have done slavery? Oh, hell yes. How do I know that? Because the little-known fact about slavery is that the very first person to own a slave in America was black, enslaving another black person. We also know that over a quarter of the slaves in the colonies of America were white. That's right, white slaves. That is not to demean and diminish the absolute atrocity that slavery was. That is to point out that it affected all sorts of races, all people across the globe. Who gets paid out for those reparations? If we want to critically think through what took place, it is the same situation with Columbus and the natives, right? Columbus bad, natives good, except for the natives that he was fighting in Hispaniola, as they like to call it, were cannibals. Literally, they would defeat and eat their enemies. Was warring with them and possibly, quote-unquote, mistreating them by the Christian standards of that day? Was that a negative for the earth or a positive for the earth? Oh, that's right, we're not supposed to put our Christian, our Western today morality on the indigenous people of the time, just on that evil Christopher Columbus. But we also can't do that, and we cannot have the conversation over the fact that in Africa, as the transatlantic slave trade was going on, and as colonial 
uh, times were beginning in Africa, we can't talk about the fact that those warring African tribes would do what to each other? They would murder, kill, enslave. All they were doing, by the way, was profiting with money off of the very thing that they were already doing to each other. They were enslaving each other in droves. When a, one village conquered another village or one tribe conquered another tribe and beat them in battle, slavery was the norm in Africa. This is a problem of humanity and it's still a problem of humanity because we still have slavery in this world. We still do. Look at the Middle East. Look at Afghanistan. Look to China. Look to other parts of Asia. Slavery still exists in this world today. It is a moral, repugnant evil. It is the one of the darkest sins of humanity. It really is. Unequivocally, it is. But to suggest that reparations need to be paid, whom, by whom, for what? Because if we're going to apply our morality today, you have to universally apply it. And that means everybody, everybody who is alive today should be paying or paid out reparations. Because I can guarantee you I could go down my family line and find somebody who is a victim of slavery at some point in time. Or fought slavery all the way back in the 1800s or 1700s or 1600s. This is the pernicious lie of the 1619 Project, that America and the colonial American slave trade was some sort of unique evil. What was really evil in all of this is a man or a woman, mankind, believing that the answer to beating somebody in battle was to enslave them. That's the evil. The root of the evil was that it was humanity's problem. It was a problem and still is a problem of our humanity, of our brokenness. And when you actually understand what took place when it came to slavery, it wasn't as if the British showed up one day, decided to beat the living tar out of some random tribe in West Africa and then take all the slaves and put them into America for some ungodly reason. It wasn't as if they just brutalized these people for no reason. This, this was much akin, unfortunately, to the fur trading and the trading that happened in the colonial uh, spirit with the indigenous people. This was akin to it. That's the thought process of the day and time that they lived in. And Bill Maher had a really great term for this, presentism. And he just defined presentism brilliantly as taking the morality of today and attempting to use that as the, the microscope or the um, magnifying glass for people of 300, 500, 1,000 years ago as if we're the perfect embodiment of morality, right? That's presentism. And reparations and the concept of reparations is the byproduct of presentism. We can't even acknowledge that there is a slave trade in the world today. We can't even stop slavery in our own modern high morale times. Right? We're the most moral people of all time. Oh, you mean the, the moral people who produce drugs that literally kill hundreds of thousands of people in America every single year due to overdose and addiction of fentanyl? You mean the people who produce meth for profit, right? Are those moral, just, right people? Hell no. You're the scum of the earth. 
to suggest that we're the most high, most moral people. Yeah, you might suggest we're the most high, but to suggest we're the most moral people of all time are our high-minded morality of modern Western society. We have so advanced morality in this world that nobody else has ever figured out any ounce of morality. And anybody who dared to live in a different time and live by the standards of that time and that time's morality, totally evil. Now, I also happen to believe that racism is bad, evil, terrible, repugnant, in that those who practiced racism in the past were pretty bad people. But the suggestion that Thomas Jefferson, that George Washington, that these people who were playing by the rules of the time, vis-a-vis you can't free slaves if you have debts or are indebted by your inheritance, which is exactly what happened to both Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, by the way, to suggest as if these people are immoral, we need to tear down their statues, their monuments in Washington, D.C., a la Mayor, Mayor Bowser, by the way, who can't possibly be bothered to house the illegal immigrants that her city says they're a sanctuary for, right? The high, moral, mighty Muriel Bowser. The high, mighty, you know, moral... Lori Beetlejuice Lightfoot, J.B. Fred Flintstone Pritzker, Eric Adams in New York City, Governor Gavin Newsom in California, right? The high, mighty, moral individuals that they are. Oh, wait, they're, they're fallen, broken people just like all the rest of us? Because there's no such thing as perfection of humanity, but the left would love for us to perfect humanity. It's not possible. The only perfection of humanity comes upon death and your ascendance to heaven. Then you see your perfect image of yourself. That's it. So said Sir Thomas Aquinas. And St. Thomas Aquinas, excuse me. But the reality of slavery in the 16, 17, and 1800s, especially the, the 16 and 1700s, because by, I think, early 1800s, we began to see the, the abolition of the transatlantic uh, slave trade. But the reality of that situation is that there's no supply or demand if we don't have people willing to sell other people due to their own quote-unquote morality in West Africa or in East Africa, for crying out loud. We don't get there if that is not their own practiced morality of the time. Their custom, their morality, their norm was conquer and enslave, conquer and enslave. And that's been that way for all of human history, by the way, all of it. There's never been a time in which slavery hasn't existed. There are many people who have been enslaved. Many, many, many different nationalities, different ethnicities, different races, you name it. So this is exactly how you deal with the Don Lemon reparation types. Okay, let's go. Let's go to the source, right? Let's go to the source. The people who really caused this. Let's go. Wait, what's that? Uh, Nigeria. What's that? Uh, Ghana. You, you pick your West African country. You 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 can't uh, you you can't afford to pay the rest of the world reparations for your perfectionism in your presentism version of morality. And that's not to say, by the way, that there's not, for me, an objective morality. Morality cannot, in my viewpoint, be subjective. It can't. Because I believe in my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, His Father, God, and the teachings of the Bible 
and its morality. Its morality is black and white. There is no gray area of its morality. The Ten Commandments are the Ten Commandments. If you break a commandment, right? If you do, question for you. Are you an immoral person? No, you're just fallen, broken, sinful, and you must repent of that sin. Have, has the world repented of the sin of the past of slavery? I would argue the West really has. Now, there's other arguments to be made about the racism of Jim Crow and segregation and, and all of that. That is a separate argument that we must deal with. But if you want to go down the road of reparations for that, do we go to the Supreme Court who allowed Plessy versus Ferguson? Do we go down the road of the reparations really being for the um, people in the Supreme Court who made those god-awful decisions ahead of Brown versus Board of Education? Do we go after the KKK and the Democrats today? For the sins of the Democrats of yesterday? Regardless of their idea of this great switch, which is just not true, it just really isn't. Do we do that? I would suggest that would be idiotic. Oh, by the way, uh, you're a, a descendant of the Supreme Court from Plessy versus Ferguson? Y'all owe all the black people all the money for Jim Crow. Uh, what? Making the son pay for the sin of the father, a.k.a. this generation or my generation or the boomer generation or whatever, pay for the sin of those previous generations is idiotic. If you want to go down this road, you're going to bark up a tree. I know those are two different metaphors, but you're going to bark up a tree you don't want to bark up. Because um, my Irish ancestors were slaves. Guarantee it. At some point in time, they were enslaved. By the English or other Irish or by the Romans. My uh, Belgian ancestors probably at some point in time were slaves. Owned by either the Dutch or the Germans or the French. Guarantee it. Am I owed reparations for that? No. No, I'm not. We have to get away from this victim mindset, this mindset of the 1619 Project. That is basically what the 1619 Project attempted to do, is to rationalize victimology and victimhood of today, the victim culture of today. I'm not a victim. Have things happened to me? Have I put myself in situations that have degraded my ability to be successful in certain aspects of my life at certain times in my life? Absolutely. But I am not a victim. If anything, I'm a victim of my own stupidity. But I'm not a victim. We must understand that we are in control through our relationship with God and Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are in control of the things that we can do here on this earth. When I talk about doing all things through Christ with my wife, and we talk about our relationship, being able to survive all things through Christ, what am I really saying? It is our belief. It is our code, our morality, our faith, that will get us through anything. And we have to be like that as a broader society. We have to stop this victim mentality. And that's what this argument of reparations is about, is that my present day circumstances because of somebody else and something else. No, no, it's not. It's because of your mentality. It is because of your unwillingness to do the hard work, to be introspective, to 
literally educate yourself to do the things that will put yourself in a successful situation. It is your inability to practice self-control or whatever have you, whatever that foible, that sinfulness, that brokenness is inside you. It is something that can be fixed. It is something that can be worked upon. It is not because you're a victim. The only true victims are people who have no real power in a situation. People like an abuse victim, right? People who are being abused, misused, mistreated, rape. You are a victim, but you can overcome that situation through therapy, through changing circumstances, to to doing things to better yourself, to understand that living inside that victim mentality does you no good further in your life. Can you work to make sure nobody else is a victim of violence, abuse, rape? Absolutely. And we all should. But I know so many people who have been victims of sexual assault, victims of domestic violence or other forms of violence, who refuse to accept that moniker of victim. I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim. I was in a bad circumstance, and I am better for getting out of that circumstance and being strong. We have to understand that strength gets us through difficult times because we're heading for some really dark, difficult times, if not already there as a society. It is only through strength, and that strength can come from faith, that strength can come from introspection, from whatever. It can come from lots of different sources. But think about that. Actually be intentional. And that's the problem with today's society is that we are not intentional. Be intentional in actions. Be intentional in words. Be intentional in how you treat your family, how you treat your friends, the things you speak about, the things you choose to listen to. Be intentional. And with that, folks, I hope you have enjoyed this Truth or Fiction Tuesday. Hopefully I've given you some things to think about. Hopefully Pat will be back tomorrow. Um, but until then, please be smart, be safe, be kind. And as always, Matthew 547.